Welcome to the Safety with Purpose Women in Safety podcast. This is a show that provides a supportive space for women in safety careers. We break down the barriers and provide opportunities for growth. Make sure to hit that subscribe button to be notified of new episodes and join us at safetywithpurpose.com. Now, here's your Women in Safety podcast host, Tamara Paris. Hi, I'm your host, Tamara Paris of the Women in Safety podcast. In this episode, I'm speaking with Linda Crockett of Alberta Bullying Resource Center and Collation of Workplace Specialists and Kirk Babiak of Alberta Advocates and Consumer Representatives about solutions to workplace harassment and bullying. Thank you, Linda and Kirk, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us. Linda and I have known each other for a very long time. Um, I think it was way back actually in 2009, maybe, Mm -hmm. um, when they were working in the Ontario legislation about getting workplace bullying um, illegal in Ontario that you and I first met. And it'd be Mm -hmm. really great, Linda, if you could share your story with the listeners about how you became so passionate about workplace harassment and bullying. Well, the story's long, so I'm going to keep it short. By the time that I got interested in this line of work, it was really because I have 22 years of of experience in social work. I had all kinds of training and assessment of all forms of abuse, domestic violence, sexual assault, child abuse, addictions. And yet I went through this in the workplace and I had no idea about workplace bullying. And it because I am, you know, I'm a hardworking person. I'm probably even stubborn in that way. I probably go above and beyond. And I just kept ignoring the signs until I hit absolute rock bottom. I became quite physically ill as well as emotionally and psychologically ill. In fact, I was diagnosed with PTSD because of workplace bullying. So I had to do some recovery work. I had to do some healing. And in that time, I couldn't find anyone that understood what I was going through. It was, it was just a nightmare. Um, therapists that I saw actually made it worse for me because they were using the, lo- the wrong for this kind of injury. So because I am a social worker and part of my training is about being, you know, understanding systems and, and identifying gaps in systems, I could tell that the time was going to come when people in Alberta were going to be looking for help and, and I couldn't even navigate it. So I was worried about people that didn't have my kind of training or even spoke English. So how were they going to survive it if I couldn't? I decided to get a master's degree and the more that I learned in my research and interviewing and studying, the more I realized how, what an epidemic this really is. And that, you know, eventually we would have a law in Alberta which did finally come out last year. And we're gonna need some, we're gonna need resources to work with employers, leaders, uh, employees, targets, bystanders, perpetrators even. Uh, My perspective is a holistic perspective and I think that we need to have services for all areas in order to really make a difference. So really it's because of my professional training but also my personal experience that I became very passionate in this topic. I guess through all my different careers that I've had, um, I worked in with youth in treatment centers. I worked in corrections, adults with disabilities, and then with WCB. And I saw, you know, a lot of systemic abuse against clients and employees. And I experienced some of it myself, and I witnessed some of it. And 
I guess being a male and, you know, being a little bit bigger guy, I experienced a lot of, you know, suck it up or brush it off. And, you know, in my situation, it's always, it's not really wasn't kind of okay to be bullied. So it was never something that I accepted myself that I was ever bullied. And in my last role with WCB, I was an appeals advisor. So I was helping people that were not getting treated properly or not getting the entitlements they deserved and by looking at that you see that some of it just comes right down to people just being being bullies and just not being nice or not being fair and then when the ohs new legislation came in it was just a huge victory and it opened the door for changes in awareness and it was just an excellent opportunity to to partner up with linda and i'm so grateful that i was introduced to linda and i met linda and and now i have such an excellent resource for myself in Linda and I'm able to help people now but it's we're so much at the just the infancy stage that uh, there's organizations like WCB say that they themselves they don't know what they're doing just yet so I guess that's where my passion came from is I've always liked to help people and now there's you know it there's a door doorway to do that for sure Thank you. You know, um, Kirk, I also had had um, situations where I struggled myself. We're not talking about management feedback. And I think one of the struggles, Linda, is really understanding what is this definition of workplace bullying. So I was really hoping that you might be able to shed some light on that. So there's a, there's a variety of different definitions out there. You can look at the Occupational Health and Safety website, Government of Alberta, Alberta Health Services websites, um, and, and of course, you know, all of yours in Ontario and every other province. And research papers have been in existence for a number of years offering definitions. But if, if we break it down and simplify it, bullying, workplace bullying, or psychological harassment, or psychological violence, or lateral violence, mobbing, the definitions that these fall under would be a variety of tactics being used against an individual or a group of individuals over a period of time. A variety of tactics being, you know, um, rumors, gossip, manipulating, uh, lies, sabotage, relationship and reputation sabotage, undermining, and really just setting people up to fail. And that's the tactics over a period of time. Research will say six months or more, but I think that we're gonna, we're seeing legitimate cases of three months or more. So a variety of tactics over a period of time with intent to harm, humiliate, diminish, degrade, insult, embarrass. You know, the list goes on. But obviously, to create some form of harm to an individual or a group of individuals. And then you would have to break down all the different categories that I listed, like mobbing being two or more people that are using these negative behaviors against one or more people, kind of that mobbing mentality, gang mentality. Lateral violence is a form of bullying where it's peer-to-peer -peer bullying, so equal to equal, uh, using tactics to create that kind of humiliation, embarrassment, and harm, and, and diminish that person. And a really, a workplace bullying is an abuse of power, and though research will say 73 to 74% does come from leadership, we're also seeing it bottom up as well as side to side. So there's, there's a lot to learn about what it is 
And it's important to learn about what it isn't as well. That's why we recommend training. You know, the one of the words that you used there was intent. Mm -hmm. I think that's very important. Can you kind mm -hmm. of dig a little bit deeper on that? As a th I'm a therapist, so and I'm a social worker, and in my training is to do assessments and look through a, a holistic lens when I look at a situation. So that word intent is one is a very important word to focus on because I believe that the perpetrators of bullying that I see they come to me because of a they've been directed by their employer on a mandatory basis. Let's face it, a lot of people aren't coming forward and saying I'm a bully, I'm a bully. And, and they certainly don't come happily. There's a lot of resistance to it because there's, there's been years and years and years of lack of insight, lack of self-insight, lack of awareness. And, and a lot of people have gotten away with it for years and maybe even rewarded for it, promoted for it, and, and trained to be that type of, of person. But I believe that after years and years of doing that, you lose insight, you lose connection to your, your, your moral gauge and, and you, you start to think this is acceptable, therefore I can get away with it. And I think they even lose consciousness about the intent. If you're a narcissist, uh, if you have narcissistic traits or you're a sociopath or psychopath, it's a given that there's, the intent is there, fully there. They don't care that they're hurting you. There's no empathy, there's no, they don't care. But the, I would think the majority that we have to really look at what, what's the history, what's involved, one of the one of the people that I worked with, uh, we looked at all the different layers that were motivating him to behave like a bully in the workplace, and there was a, a mental illness diagnosis that came out of that, and there was also a physical illness diagnosis that came out of that, and when we removed those different layers, we got to the bottom of it, and it actually ended up that the the uh, he was being bullied from above him. So there was there was a lot of factors that you've got to look at before where you judge somebody and and you need to create a resource that can help them too so the intent as you say it's that's the word that we really have to dissect the reason why i wanted to drill down on the word intent a little bit is because a lot of times you'll hear oh i'm sure the person doesn't mean to do that and mm -hmm. unfortunately there are individuals that strategize and think about how they can be revengeful and get back at people. And so I wanted to kind of dig in a little bit about what the impact is of workplace bullying to the physical as well as the emotional well-being of our employees mm -hmm. to help safety professionals better understand what their employees may be facing. Well, your, your description really did speak to many, I'm sure, that are listening because there is intent to some degree to stir up some trouble for you and create some harm for you. And even if that person isn't a narcissist, psychopath, sociopath, or suffers a mental illness, it's still not acceptable that they would harm another person. Because as per our policies, we have to maintain the respect and, and integrity of each of our colleagues. So that's still inappropriate. Uh, as far as impact on physical or psychological harm, impact on physical, I think, probably is the first one to go because we start losing sleep when we're trying to figure out what the heck is going on in the workplace. This is so confusing. It's so insidious. It's so undermining. And it's usually behind closed doors when you can't get evidence or people won't speak up for it. And it's confusing. 
they look, they usually, these people are quite skilled and friendly and charming and, and people like them, but yet they're very different towards you. So you try to figure out what's going on in the middle of the night and you're trying to figure out how do I make it stop? How do I fix it? I just want to do my job, you know, and with a loss of sleep, you're going to end up being somebody who can't focus, you can't concentrate, your memory's shot, or maybe you're starting to have symptoms of anxiety and and a lot of people that go through this end up with panic attacks that they've never had that before and they don't know what's going on. Um, and you're going to have migraines, you're going to, you're going to, your immune system is attacked. So now you're getting colds and flus and viruses and, and increased inflammation and infections. And, and you might even be having, you're at a higher risk of injury in the workplace. You're at higher risk of developing, um, you know, a diagnosis of depression, a lot of our diagnoses are going towards adjustment disorder, and we are seeing more and more cases of, of symptoms of PTSD. So it's quite serious. It's quite, um, we do know of a case in PEI, uh, Lisa Donovan's husband who passed away in the office uh, from a heart attack, who never had uh, cardiac um, symptoms whatsoever, but he had quite a lot of evidence of, of making reports about workplace bullying and Lisa Donovan took the case to WCB and won after her husband passed away won because she could prove that the the heart attack was due to the stress of the bullying in the workplace and we also know of the number of suicides um, eight years old is the youngest right through to those in senior homes so it's very serious I see a lot of people that once they get to this, to the point where it's gotten to where they're at the point where they're seeing someone like Linda, it's, it's where they're, it's almost to the point where it's not, it's not too late, but it's to the point where they've allowed things to get to the place where they're starting to suffer physically, like Linda said, and things have started to let go. So they're starting to have troubles in the workplace that are beyond the the bullying or the harassment. So their performance is starting to go down. Um, attendance is starting to go down. If if like Linda said, they're possibly just having more sick days. Those sort of things start to happen, and it's it's all encompassing. It can completely destroy a person. It can cripple them completely, and it's. Like, like in the last question, it's, it's intent, you know, it's, it's completely malicious. There's motive behind it to get that person to that place. And the problem that people run into on my end, when we start talking about putting in WCB claims or getting support from an insurance provider, the, the individual now has two forms of problems going on. They have the bullying, which has happened to them. And then now they have work, work performance issues and at a place like WCB, you know, unfortunately, the first thing they're going to want to focus on is, well, your problems are because of your performance. And mm -hmm. so if we don't have the employer behaving properly, and if we don't have the person getting help right away or, or noticing these things and feeling safe to go to somebody quickly, then the wrong things are going to be focused on. Mm -hmm. They're going to, you know, they're not going to get the help they need because they're going to be looked at as a problem. And that's, it's so unfortunate and you see these things and I'll, I'll be able to bring up a little bit later with some of the, you know, some of the criteria for a claim to be accepted, but you know, those things can really get in the way if, if somebody's not getting the help they need right away. 
Kirk, that's such an important point. And I'm really glad that you made it because we're seeing people losing their jobs because they can't focus, can't concentrate, can't keep up with their work tasks. And now they're scapegoated and there's enough ammunition against them to leave. So Kirk's point, point, is, <laughs> point is so important that people need to come in and get help when the symptoms begin, not after they're at a point where they can barely put a sentence together. And that, the thing that I've also noticed, uh, Linda and Kirk, is um, HR and managers are not equipped to deal with this. They themselves aren't even quite sure what they're looking for, what they're assessing for. I've seen cases where you're talking to the person in the, in the office and you can see it happening, yet um, when they're talking to their manager or to HR, they're being told just to go back to the person and try to work it out. And this is not a solution, you know? So I'm hoping to gain some insights for our audience from you guys about what are some viable solutions for our leadership so we can actually start mitigating and um, helming this issue of workplace harassment and bullying in our organizations and remove it from the culture. So it's so crucially important that leadership become cohesive teams and that there is buy-in to the changes that they want and that they're all on the same page. And that needs to begin with training. It needs to begin with leadership training and, and everyone on board and that your policies and your procedures align with the act and that you're following through consistently and you're role modeling the change that you want to see in your workplace. So you're being accountable as well. And you're showing consistency with every case that comes forward. And, and yes, when you do the training and you train your staff, as per our legislation, you're supposed to anyway, you will see some changes in cases. You'll maybe see some more cases come forward. But that's how it's going to happen for a while, but it's going to settle down. And you're going to have to sh and you're just show people that it's not going away. Bring up reminders, bring up um, team building, bring up posters, uh, lunch and learns, keep the discussion going so that it doesn't go in the closet, it doesn't become that silence, that shame. Have that training, do the policies, follow through, uh, make sure that you're hiring people that are third party to do investigations. Right off the bat, if you've got an environment right now that's in, in trouble, don't use people internally for investigations. You need to prevent any kind of bias whatsoever. Obviously, trust is going to be broken. And the best way to start you know, repairing that is to bring people in that are trained, that are going to be objective. They're not going to be biased. Make sure they have training in psychological harassment and trauma-informed interviewing. These are psychological injuries, so you need a different type of training and have resources available, you know, have resources that are also appropriate for this kind of injury and, and learn what you can about it. If, if there has been somebody injured, you can send that person that's been identified as a disruptive employee to someone that does the same work as we do, that to rehabilitate that person. If you have someone that's injured, make sure they get into treatment. Or else bring in, and when they're all ready to come back to work, bring somebody in that facilitates discussions of this nature to, to 
restore some of that trust and damage and harm and support the process of returning to work. This is probably the last issue that you would ever want to be prideful about. If you don't know what you're doing, bring in help. Bring in experts that know what they're doing. And confidentiality is so key. People have to feel safe. I think we have a perfect example on the world stage right now about how important it is to protect whistleblowers. People that, that need to speak up need to feel safe to do that. And if that's not happening, then it, it's, you know, your, your culture is never going to change. And words like suck it up, brush it, brush it off, those sort of things are so toxic for an organization. And if you still have those kind of people walking around and, and spreading that sort of toxicity in the environment, then those sort of people, those are the people that need to be targeted for training, um, extra training maybe. And everyone needs to be in the same room. You know, I, I, don't, I think this sort of thing cannot be talked about enough. It, you know, around the coffee table, around meetings, you know, around the lunch table. This is, this is the kind of thing that has to be out there for everyone to feel safe about. And it just absolutely has to be something that is pretty much in everyone's face so that there is no place it can hide. It's really important that that we learn what is and what isn't and and all the dynamics involved. So uh, it's an awful lot of employers out there are taking short little webinars and, and saying that they've met the requirements. And you know, that's only going to add to the problem because you're really not getting the dynamics. This is complex. A short webinar is not going to do it. You need somebody there that's going to be able to really give you the, the full, uh, all the layers involved and then uh, empower your own employees to be part of the change. You're supposed to have a health and safety committee, um, whether you have 20 employees or not, as per requirement, have one anyway. And have people involved in, in creating events and creating change so that everyone has a voice. I would, I would say, I mean, if, if people aren't speaking up, it's, it's even okay to go check in with them regularly. Why not? Yeah. And like you said, make it safe and, and show that it's, there's no retaliation. I think a lot of people think that's just lip service and it's up to the leadership to role model that. I want to talk a little bit more about the whistleblower and people who are speaking up. Because what I have noticed happens a lot is they'll do the webinar or they'll do some seminar. But then as soon as somebody speaks up and says like, yes, we do have bullying here, they don't engage into those conversations. Mm -hmm. So I'm really hoping, Linda and Kirk, that you could share with us some ideas for leadership. When you have an inclination that mm -hmm. something might be happening, Linda, how can I, can I as a leader be building that trust and getting that employee to share with me what is happening? You know, if you're a new leader coming into an organization, I can see that it's, it would be great to sit down and say, you know, these are your policies, these are the resources, we really believe in zero tolerance, and then and walk your talk. But if you've been there quite a while and there's some breakdown in trust or respect in the workplace, I think the most important part is to show that you're being real and authentic and, and walking your talk and accountable and, and that you're even role modeling that, you know, up until now we've, we've got, we've made some mistakes, but we're trying to correct them. And it's, and it's, and it's following through. 
Wouldn't you agree, Kirk, that employees, employees are watching you, leaders, and, and if you're not walking your talk and they find out that you've breached their confidentiality or you know, you're, you're showing favor to one or they're watching your behaviors and, and they want to see how honest are you going to be? Are you just talking service or are you getting to the real level point of it? Your employees are watching. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, your employees are watching what you're doing, but your employees are, they're also watching how many people are off on stress leave. How many people are taking sick days? Or, you know, how many people are having issues? How many, how much, what are people saying on smoke breaks? All that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And if you want to be a tapped in leader, then, you know, all you really need to do is just go spend some time with those people. Have yeah. some just, you know, conversations. Just talk with your people. Check in with your people regularly and find out what is going on for them, you know, away from the desk. And, yeah. and you might get some honesty and some, some real conversations going on. And when you hear those things, you can't brush it off. You've got you to gotta meet it head on. Like, and like Linda said, walk the talk, be the example, and, and show your people that you won't tolerate something like that. Yeah, you, you know, I, I guess what I'm struggling here with is that I've been in the workforce for over 30 years. And many times I've had seen incidences where somebody is treating another person horribly to the point where the person's breaking down crying, either at mm -hmm. their desk or in the bathroom. And mm -hmm. leadership knows about it. And to be blunt with you, employees are wondering, when are these leaders going to wake up and actually take charge of providing the guidance and mm -hmm. the coaching that we as employees expect of you? When we're hired and we're being paid money to run our time, there's also the expectation that you will provide some protection when we're being abused in the workplace. And I guess that's what's really just burning at me. That is my passion is like, how do we get these leaders to wake up and they act like they're big, bad people in the boardroom? Well, you know what? Why don't you show that? that kind of persona of being a strong person to protect that person who is being emotionally eroded. It's the it's a million dollar question that's asked worldwide. Why are they doing this? Why aren't they stopping this? You know, our leaders are held to a higher level of, of, of um, expectation. They're supposed to have these higher level skills and there's, uh, but we're not seeing that, are we? 74% are bullying that's this that's the research that's the stats so we have to look at things like our hiring practices for these leaders and we have to look at the training that's provided to them do they have experience in leadership are they capable of being responsible and having appropriate reactions to these things do they have the training in workplace bullying and, and harassment uh, we have to look at all those boxes. Are they hired because they're somebody's brother? Is there nepotism here? Is there favoritism? Is it, that's part of the problem, right? And, and you would have to talk about the types of bullies and why people bully to answer that as well. Uh, some people are in leadership style or positions are afraid of confrontation. Uh, in my opinion, if you're a leader, you better deal with that fear of confrontation because your expectation is that you need to deal with confrontation. 
So we have uh, two risk factors in leadership. That's laissez-faire type leadership that isn't dealing with stuff, burying their heads in the sand. And the other style, the other end of that spectrum is the authoritarian leadership style. Those two styles are out because they're high risk factors for workplace bullying. The emotionally intelligent leadership is, is what's the way for today. So if you're gonna be a, a leader, you need to have some training in emotional intelligence in order to really follow through when you see somebody being harmed in the workplace. And care about people. Yeah. Sometimes that's, sometimes that's really lacking. Yeah. I think that uh, some employers tend to care about the bottom line more than anything else. And I, I guess one of, the, one of the real positive things about the legislation is that now it has a little bit of teeth that, yeah. that can cost employers money. If they're if they're not taking this seriously and you know you bring up the very important point of the costs and so Tamara when you're talking to these leaders that aren't following through you've got to talk costs because money talks and and Kirk can talk to the costs of WCB but we know that it's costing multiple millions uh, every year because they're not dealing with it so break down the numbers of insurance costs recruitment costs retraining all of that and that might wake up some people and cost their the damage to their reputation but kirk you should That's tell me a big one yeah reputation is going to be a big one if if these employers start getting exposed well kirk what is what can we be using as a wake-up call to these executives and what are the cases and the stats well when it comes to like wcb just in the last year they've had a 300% increase in uh, these types of claims. Now, I mean, that's, that's astronomical, that, that increase, and it's caused them to put themselves into an audit situation right now. Like they're, they're auditing what their acceptance versus denial is right now, what types of claims, the actual number of claims that are coming in. But it's, you know, they've had to double their team, like the number of people that they have working on these types of claims. And, you know, that's great that they've done that. Part of the problem with that is that they're throwing resources at this that aren't trained, just like a lot of the employers don't know what to do. They have case managers and stuff being thrown at this that, that aren't necessarily trained to handle stress claims. And they're getting stressed out themselves. So, you know... Well, that some of their leaders are not trained in anything to do with psychological uh, injury or, or dynamics. So you've got leaders who are supervising case managers and the leaders aren't even trained. So there's a problem here and they need, to, you know, WCP leaders and case managers need support. They need this training. They want it. I don't know what's happening as to um, what's going to happen for that, but I think they, they would prefer to be doing a better job. For sure, yeah. It's like WCB is right now. I would say in the information I've received, they're they're kind of swamped with these kind of cases, and that is only going to, for the employers, bring their premiums up a great deal, like a great deal, and it's going to cost them a lot of money to handle these claims because you know employers' premiums pay one hundred percent of the cost of these claims, so it's not something they can ignore. So it's going to cost them money. They've never had to really deal with this in this way before because normally these sort of claims go on their, you know, Great West Life, Sun Life, their insurance provider, and then they just go away. 
with WCB, the claims stick with them and their premiums for three years. So it's it's going to be a new ball game for employers because they it's going to end up they're going to be appealing these claims, which is another way for them to look like they're not being supportive of, uh, at all. Mm-hmm. Do you have any coping strategies for the employees who are facing these issues? What can they be doing? It's so important for people to realize that that uh, self care is not something you put on the shelf to do next month. When you're going through a really stressful time, that's when your best self-care needs to kick in. We have a tendency to to start staying up later, uh, eat junky food, uh, stop exercising, we stop doing the things that we really enjoy. And when you're going through a stressful time, you need to actually draw on all that healthy living in order to cope, in order to stay clear-minded and grounded you're going to need to bring in supports. You're going to need to talk to people. Avoid isolating because that's the first thing we want to do is avoid and isolate. I say do the opposite. Talk about it. Um, connect with people that understand you. If you don't have anybody, and certainly plenty of people don't, go see a therapist. See a counselor. Somebody that you can just vent with. We can't keep all that inside of us or we're going to get sick. It, it, and, and we know that medical, we have evidence of that. So talk to somebody, take care of yourself. You're responsible for that. Uh, know that you should see your doctor if you've got symptoms, but start to document. Document is so important. Document what you see, when you saw it, where it was, who was there, what did you do, who knows about it, and keep records and keep them in a safe place, by the way. And I highly recommend that you keep them in one place because it's scattered enough in your brain. You need to have it documented in one place so it's not scattered all over your house and office. Then you're going to feel more insecure, out of control, anxious. For your own self-help or your own health, mental health, keep it in one place. So you've got your documentation. You're talking to people. You take care of your health. You're making sure you're okay because you're going to need everything. Yeah, I would, uh, I would follow up on what Linda said on, you know, on my line where I come into play is with the, the documentation and, and the not suffering in silence. As soon as you become aware of anything, you, you know, your gut tells you, as soon as you, you feel something's off, you have to start the documentation and getting, make sure you have the names and the dates of everything because when it comes time, if you're going to put in a claim or on my end of things with WCB or any insurance company. Unfortunately, we're still kind of, we're in a place where the, the burden of proof is still, you know, on, on the client, on you. So make sure you have all that documentation in place because one of the, one of the criteria for WCB of the four is that there's objective confirmation of events. And for there to be objective confirmation of events, the, the best objective confirmation is video evidence, but that never really is there. So having that documentation of everybody in place, even if you've written it down, talked to somebody you trust, even if they're willing to give witness statements, all that sort of thing, so that you have the absolute best picture of what happened to present with the most details. And unfortunately, the burden should not be on you, but it often is. And that's where Linda comes in to help 
on the the front of getting you where you need to be health-wise those sort of things i come in to get you where you need to be to make sure that you know you're not being steered the wrong way i guess i wanted to kind of uh, learn a little bit more from you kurt you know if i'm doing a claim what is documentation what kind of things can i be bringing to you there's like a lot of people we wonder like can we audio tape a conversation like what's the rules here people do it all the time um on wc in wcb claims wcb will use audio taped conversations on a claim they do it all the time um you know in court those sort of things that stuff's not that stuff's a no-no they're not going to use it but in regards to wcb with conversations um i would be wary of how your employer is going to look at that sort of thing the audio taping conversations um but with wcb those those audio tapes text messages emails anything like that is will be used by wcb to to adjudicate your file and adjudicate your claim but you're going to be putting in your your documentation of what happened when it happened you're going to see your doctor, get your diagnosis. I mean, the four criteria are that there's a confirmed psychological diagnosis um, described in the DSM. Uh, your work-related events or stressors are predominant cause of the injury. Your work-related events are excessive or unusual in comparison to the normal pressures and tensions experienced by the average worker in a similar occupation. And there's an objective confirmation of events. The two bottom ones are the, are the big ones, so the excessive and unusual. WCB is going to adjudicate that on their opinion. And the objective confirmation of events, again, that's, that's something that they're going to feel is their opinion as well. So the more you have, the, the better. So the, the more you can collect to, to give to them, the WCB or the insurance company or me, if you want help from me or someone like me, the better. But... The more documentation you have, the better. Like I said, you can use audio, anything on your phone, your computer, even if somebody's left a sticky note on your desk saying something inappropriate. Anything you have can be used and, and will be taken for sure. Okay, and that's really good to know because I, I know from my own personal experience that you kind of go through this period of thinking like, I'm getting paranoid, I'm just hypersensitive. I'm the one who maybe is just taking this out of context. And then by the time you kind of circle your wagon around to realize like, nope, um, this person is being totally unprofessional. You haven't collected all that data because mm -hmm. you were having all these thoughts of doubts and how unreasonable you're being. Mm -hmm. So is it fair, like at the first sign that you think something's happening to start the documentation? Is that what I'm learning here? I think that it's fair after you've had some training and awareness and you realize that this is, that you now, this is something that you need to do. But like you said, when you're in it, it's very difficult, but you can still start at any point. You don't have to have exact dates and times. You can say in January of 2019, I went through blah, 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 blah. So document to your best ability up until the point where you realize, you know, you can start documenting daily. Anything is better than nothing. But let me just emphasize this workplace bullying is primarily psychological harassment. It isn't primarily physical aggression and verbal assault, although those are factors. 
it is primarily psychological harassment. So if you compare it, you can compare it to domestic violence or sexual assault. And there's, so most people don't know this is happening until after some sort of injury has taken place. And that's why it's so imperative to get the training and see the signs early. That's prevention, prevention of harm. It, up until now, and I'm sure Kirk will agree, until you've had some training, you'll keep going. And, and the standard thought that I get, and I've seen thousands of targets over the last nine years, the standard comment is, I just tried to work better. I just tried to stay under the radar. I just tried to figure out what, was, what they wanted. All I want to do is my job. I just want to do my job. And so you're always just trying to make sense of it. So months, maybe even a year will go by before you, you actually suffer an injury and realize you're in trouble. So that's, that's pretty typical what you're explaining. And, and WCB, any therapist, any lawyer is going to understand that component of psychological harassment. And a lot of times the, the script will, will look like the person has the injury, they'll go to the doctor, then they'll go off on stress leave through their short-term or long-term provider. And then it turns out that this should have been WCB. This is a workplace injury. It's, they can still go to WCB. WCB is, is what they call first, first payer. So what happens is they put the claim into WCB. WCB, once it's accepted, they will pay that person for all the time they missed that money comes into the person and then they will pay it back to the insurance company because WCB pays more. So they will take it over from the beginning from, from that person because it was, you know, essentially accidentally put through short-term disability because mm -hmm. the person just didn't know any better. Yeah. And I think one of the, the struggles here though is the word injury. When we're going through it, we don't see ourselves as being injured. If you don't know the signs, if you don't know the, the, the type of tactics, behaviors, and the, the signs of injury, then you're right. That's why people wait too long until there's a significant injury. And I'm one of those people, like I said, back in 2008, 9, and 2010, I waited as well until I could barely put a sentence together. I was so ill. But today, we have hundreds of research papers, books, YouTube videos, websites, my website, Kirk's, that, that gives information so you can tell whether you have some of those early warning signs. But that's what training is about, early prevention, early intervention. Yeah, I think if, if, if you're crying at your desk, you, you mm -hmm. have an issue, you have a problem, and I think you need to, to speak up and get some help right there. That's, that's a pretty good indicator. I know that there's, there is not a single claimant that I have that has not said that that's happened to them. Or crying in the parking lot before they go sure. into the office, right? Sitting there and yep. crying, or crying on the way to work, or yep. you know, causing a potential injury on the way home from work where you realize you've just crossed the line on the road because you're so consumed with, with you know, trying to figure out how to make it stop. I'd say you're probably injured. You're definitely injured. Yeah, it just breaks my heart to think about this, that we're still struggling with this. Uh, you know, Kurt, I wanted to understand a little bit, if I put a claim in and then it's denied, what can I do? What are my alternatives to, to do here? 
Well, there's there's the typical route if if you get a decision you don't like from WCB, you can just simply appeal it and go through the channels. WCB has their own internal uh, review body where you can go and then get their decision. If you don't like what they get or the decision you get from them, then you can go to the appeals commission in Alberta. Those are your that's your typical appeal channel. What I tell my people is when you get a decision you don't like, don't jump to appeal first. Um, if, if I'm working with them, what I like to do is, is talk to WCB first, try to find out why, where they came from, and see if I can negotiate something with them first. Because once customer service, the first level says no, if you move past them, then you can't go back to them. They, they basically close the door and then your negotiation skills are over or your ability to negotiate with them is over. So I always say, you know, if you get denied, oftentimes it could be because information has been left out, information has been twisted, or it just hasn't been looked at. So there's, I always try to say, don't just accept no for an answer. Um, make sure you have all your documentation in row if they haven't. They, they don't have the information. Don't just be convinced that you have, that the answer is no. Um, get some advice. And if that means calling me for advice, calling Linda, calling somebody for advice, whether it be one of my colleagues or, or anybody else, or, you know, there's the um, fairness, pra fair, fairness practice office that's available to people in the, in the province, and that's a free service. Never just accept no you know, if you're denied, because oftentimes when a claim goes in, it just hasn't been given the right amount of attention. And, and that's, that's my number one with all the ones that I've seen, they just haven't been given their, their, their just due. Thank you. And I'm going to be putting um, the contact information for both of you onto the, um, the notes for the show. And I really hope that any resources that you might have, you can also share. And I'm going to be putting the links on there so that our audience can go to the, the podcast site and get um, the information to go to your websites and read the, the resources and the articles that you have because it's so important. I did want to ask, though, before we close out our discussion, can you share some your most important piece of advice to the health and safety professionals? so that they can help keep their people safe from this type of workplace harassment and bullying behaviors? Because it is a struggle. I think we both touched on a lot of points and I guess I would just, I would say to them, if you don't know uh, what to do, then as an occupational health and safety, take a course, read a book, read a research paper, talk to one of us. You've got some expertise in Canada, and all provinces has expertise. If, if you don't know how to reach them, call one of us. We'll help you with that. But you've got experts to reach out to, um, to have them come in and do some training. I've trained groups of occupational health and safety uh, workers and human resources and investigators, so we'd be happy to help. But don't... don't say and do something that if if you don't know anything about it because you could risk causing more harm learn what you can yeah i would say that you know this this issue isn't new but there's legislation that is new 
And I, I think that the best thing you can do is embrace it and, and don't meet the minimum standards. Be, be the best practice, be the, be the best in your industry, be a leader and, yeah. and, and let's let your employees see it and let your, you know, the other, other companies in your industry, see it and, yeah. and shine, shine out there, see what, see what you have to do and then do 10 times better. Yeah. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you so much, both of you, Linda and Kirk, for coming on and sharing your knowledge with us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. That concludes my conversation with Linda Crockett and Kirk Babiak. We hope you found this episode informative. And for more information, see our show notes at safetywithpurpose backslash women in safety. Please visit Safopedia where you may find many resources in the form of white papers, articles, research reports, and more to help solve your safety issues at work. Until next time, be safe. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the Women in Safety podcast. Thank you for clicking the subscribe button and sharing it with others. Make sure to visit us at safetywithpurpose.com for more safety leadership and industry discussions.